Thank you, ladies. Uh, being redeemed is something to sing about uh, and excited because it's not based upon what we do. Uh, we were visiting with uh, a neighbor lady last night, and uh, she, she said, well, you know, we, we believe in, in a purgatory, and so none of us really have much of a chance to get out of there. <laughs> and I said, well, I'm, I'm glad that we don't believe in a purgatory because uh, I would never make it out either. She said, you just, I said, well, how do you get out? Well, you just got to be really good to get out. And so she didn't have much hope. She's a, a good lady, a nice lady, a good friend. And uh, I said, well... If that was the case, I wouldn't make it out either, but that's not what the Bible says, that I'm not trusting in my good works because I could never get to heaven and uh, because our sin is as filthy, our righteousness is as filthy rags, and so there's nothing we can do. So we are redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, the work that he did upon the cross, and trusting in that work to save us. Otherwise, we have no hope of ever making it into the presence of a holy God. So thank you, ladies, for that song. I'd like you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Two weeks ago, well, a week ago this past Wednesday, some of us met in the fireside room with the the man who is responsible for the Awana ministry in Africa. And in Africa, they have, uh, they're just getting started with the Awana program, and right now they have 1,100,000 and some thousand kids in uh, Awana. Awana stands for Approved Workmen Are Not Ashamed. And it's a program we have here in the church on Wednesday night for our children. And what it does is these kids memorize Scripture. And as they memorize Scripture, they get badges and they get uh, awards. And then they, we have uh, devotions and we have game time and the kids love it. In Africa, they just can't uh, get enough of Awana. Last year, 19 schools, public schools adopted the Awana program into their curriculum, their public schools. And so at the end of this past year, they invited the ministry of Ed, Minister of Education for the, one of these countries in Africa where they had these 19 schools. They invited this lady to come, and they had some kind of an Awana program right in the, in the school there. And she, at the close of the day, she said, this coming year, we need 5, 000, no, 500 schools of our public schools to adopt the Awana ministry into their uh, curriculum. So during the day, these kids are memorizing Scripture. Now, why would she say that? Because she saw the results of Scripture in the lives of kids. And she said, these children have been changed. Because of the Bible. That's what the Bible does. The Bible changes lives. You say, well, my life isn't changing. Are you in the Bible? I mean, it isn't. You, don't, you can't sleep on the Bible and, and think it, it will change you. You can't come here for an hour on Sunday morning and think it's going to have much of, of an effect. 
You need to be eating. It's referred to as food. Uh, you need to be eating from it. Uh, if, uh, if I just ate one hour uh, a week, I'd look a lot better for a little while. I mean, just for a little while. And then I would look a lot worse uh, because of that. So the Awana uh, ministry, the scripture, God's word, why are they going to Awana in Africa is because 50% of the people in Africa are kids. And they see the kids as their future. And it is. And they want kids whose lives have been changed. There is one Awana group in uh, one of these villages that one week, uh, one day a month, they go to a neighboring village and they parade through the streets with their Awana flags and holding their Bibles and they, will, they go and march through the streets. Pretty soon they will have 500 kids following them to a field on the edge of the town that has been prepared with an Awana circle, and they do their games, and they do their Bible, uh, their devotion, their Bible lesson, and they've got 500 kids watching. Why? Well, they don't have anything else to do is one reason, but uh, they're attracted to kids whose lives have been changed. The United States, our future is our in our kids. We realize that, and that's why we have Christian education here at school, and why we have our own school, why we have Awana, why we have Sunday morning uh, Sunday school for our kids, uh, to, because the Bible changes lives. The uh, public school no longer has a biblical worldview. Why not? Because they have said no to the Bible. They have said no to prayer. And so, without God's word, without God himself, without Jesus Christ, without the Holy Spirit, our future would be bleak, short, and hopeless. No wonder the suicide rate has become epidemic. And it has. Because you remove God, you remove hope. And that's what Paul is telling us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You remove what the work that Jesus did on the cross, there's no hope. You remove the work that God the Father did in raising up the Son, Jesus Christ, in, during the resurrection, there would be no hope. And Paul is trying to get that across to us. Our lives would be uh, bleak, hopeless, and short without Jesus. We do have much to look forward to if we trust in Christ. If not, then there is uh, an eternity of torment ahead. We lost a neighbor, the first neighbor in our neighborhood, to die in our housing development. And she, she lived right across from Jonathan and Darylin. And, and so uh, now she's gone. We, we would wave to her as she walked her little dog. And, 
and I don't know what her relationship with ship was with Jesus. I know I didn't talk to her about that. And so uh, there, there, there's a possibility that she, her future is bright, but there's a possibility that it was not. Paul is saying, hey, take care of it. This is what we have in Jesus Christ. And our futures rest upon the fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If Christ be not risen, then we will be most miserable because there will be no more resurrection for us as well. But since Christ is resurrected, we have hope. Uh, before we look at these, uh, there are books that are, are written proving that the resurrection took place. Now, the, best, the one that I like the best is mostly because it's short. It's a little booklet that Lee uh, Strobel wrote, and he writes the, the case for, a case for Jesus Christ, a case for these things. Well, he wrote a little book, A Case for Easter. Now, he was, used to be an investigative reporter for the Chicago Tribune, and then he went into law, and then he, uh, a detective, and, and all of these things, and now he's an author. He began to write his book to disprove the Bible, and he got partway into the book, and he realized the Bible was true. And he came to Jesus Christ. So uh, in that little book, The Case for Easter, it's divided into three parts. Uh, the medical evidence for the resurrection of Christ. The evidence of the missing body of Christ. The evidence of the appearances of Christ. And uh, just, it just encourages me. Our faith in the resurrection, though, is based on facts, not on our, our feelings. And I appreciate that. Because of Jesus' resurrection, we're promised four things that I find in this passage. We're promised a zillion things, but in this passage of 1 Corinthians 15, I'm just going to point out four and only really going to look at, at one of them this morning. The, the promise, the resurrection of Jesus Christ promises more resurrections in the future. Promises a future of ultimate victory. Promises a future of a new body, and promises a future of worthwhile work. And uh, we began looking at these last Sunday. Just going to recall or remind you of the very first one that, that the resurrection of Christ promises more resurrections in the future. Uh, starting with verse 20, it says, But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits. Of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterwards they that are Christ at his coming. Now we look at this and we say, well, uh, this is promising my resurrection in the future. If you're a believer, if you are in Christ, it's promising your resurrection. It uses a word, asleep. You know, when, when we die, we're not dead. Well, I mean, we, we look dead. We, we have the, the casket or the urn or something that certainly looks like we are dead. Uh, we are gone. You know, that's what they say. Well, uh, that body still is there in some form. Uh, we're not kaput. 
it says asleep, a term saying that if he's in the, oh, oh dad's just sleeping, or uh, Johnny's just sleeping, that is kind of a promise saying that he's going to get up sometime. Because in the future, that promise is a future resurrection. Asleep. So Paul uses these words here. He uses first fruits, meaning there's more to follow. Jesus is just the first one. Well, he wasn't exactly the first one because there were other resurrections that took place. But he's the first one that affects our resurrection. The resurrection or the taking away, catching away of uh, 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 these different characters too uh, Elijah was caught away, caught up into heaven in a whirlwind uh, after a chariot of fire separated the two of them. And so uh, there were some other resurrections, but the only resurrection that affects us is Jesus Christ. He was the first fruit for us. There will be more of us that follow. So my resurrection in the future, it promises my transformation in the future. My casket is more than a resting place. It's a transformation place. It is more like a cocoon than what we could even, ever guess. Um, I plan on, I, I, I'm hoping I'll have enough energy in the future. I'm planning on making my own casket. You know, oh, man. And if I can't make my own casket, uh, Ron Howard has a, a place there, a friend that, that uh, where. I can contact him and have him make me a casket. I would like, I'm thinking, you know, Jonathan, I drove by you, your place, because we we're neighbors, we're in the same neighborhood, and I drove by and I saw you in your garage, and you had a bunch of power tools there, and I saw, I can go and mooch off Jonathan and have him help me make my casket. I want... You know, just a basic casket because it's not going to last very long. I want to make all of my grandkids little branding irons because I grew up with branding irons. And uh, we had the Diamond G on our ranch in South Dakota. And we had uh, uh, various brands for the, the uh, ranches I worked on there in Montana. I want to make each of our grandkids a little branding iron and have them burn their brand into my casket, not into my body after I'm dead, uh, into my casket. Because that's a transformation place. It's going to take place. So wherever my, my ashes or my dust or, or, or my whatever, it's going to be transformed this, uh, this spring when we began planting the garden. We... In before spring gets here, they were selling seeds that had been placed in those little organic cartons. Some of you probably got some of those. Little organic cartons, you keep them on a tray in your kitchen or someplace where the sun can be, and you water it. And in that organic carton, the plant grows. And then as it, when spring, when it's warm enough, you take that little carton and you just put it in the ground. You don't have to pull it out of the carton. You don't have to pop it out with the bottom. You just put the whole carton in there, and that acts as a fertilizer for the plant. Uh, that's more or less what Paul is writing about here. That we're going to be transformed. We're going to grow. Now, 
how does that take place? Does it take place in the casket? You know, well, we know that other authors in Scripture say that the worms take place in those bodies, and I don't want to be gross, but uh, those of you that are familiar with the zombies, you know, you're just as gross in, in, in enjoying those. I, I don't watch those. But uh, a cemetery is a garden plot. Cindy and I want to be buried at the Gull River Cemetery out here on the edge of, of town. And that's a place where believers are planted because someday their bodies are going, our bodies are going to be transformed if the Lord tarries. And so we die because of Adam, Paul says here. We die because of Adam and we live because of Christ. We, death is certain because of Adam. Our resurrection is just as certain in Christ. So I want you to see, being in Christ is very important because it determines the resurrection of your body, the place you will go uh, and how you will go following your death or following the coming of Christ uh, to take us home. So uh, what we see as a tragedy I spent some hours sitting in the hospital this week uh, with Dale and with Dick. And when I sat with Dick, we spent a lot of time talking about heaven. And I, I sat down with Dick and we started to talk. And, and I said, Dick, aren't you glad that, uh, that we're going to get new bodies in heaven? He said, prove it. <laughs> what, what would you say if somebody told you that? Prove it. And so we started to go through 1 Corinthians 15. And we started to go through 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And we looked at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And he said, that's what I needed. I needed it. It wasn't that he doubted. He just wanted me to remind him again that we are going to have transformed bodies at some time uh, because the body he has right now is kaput. And he recognizes that and he's filled with pain and with cancer. And so uh, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 36. I mean, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 36. Uh, when I read this, I thought, well, in Matthew... It says, don't call anybody a fool. Well, this begins with, thou fool. What he's saying here, if you don't believe what I've said, you're thinking foolishly. You're, fo you're foolish uh, because that which thou sowest is not quickened except it die. What were they foolish about? They were foolish because they were hoping they wouldn't die. And they were... They were dreading death so much they would do anything to keep themselves alive another minute, even if it meant another minute of torment. And he says that's foolish thinking because the transformation can't take place until, until you die here, except it die, the seed here. So uh, there's a lot of foolish thinking out there, and sometimes we, got, we get caught up in that. Normally, it's thinking about other people. 
because a lot of people in our church that have died have told me at the close, at, while they're in the hospital and shortly before they die, they say, Pastor, will you just pray that the Lord takes me home? Um, and and I, I start, I, I remember with Dorothy Shalene, and I started praying for her, and I prayed, Lord, just some way help Dorothy to, to be able to spend more time on this earth. And she interrupted my prayer. <laughs> that was Dorothy, anyway, if you know her. And she said, Pastor, don't pray that. Pray that I go home quickly and soon. Okay. And we did. But most of the time, it's those of us that are going to miss the one that's going to be going. And we're going to have the hole in our lives that we pray that they might have more time or live longer, even if they are going through serious pain and there's no hope for recovery. Paul says, that's foolish thinking. Don't you realize that unless a corn uh, seed dies, it cannot be transformed? So Christ's resurrection promises more resurrections. Christ's resurrection promises ultimate victory. Uh, we will not look at that. But it, it says no more death, no more sin, because Christ had victory over death. Christ had victory over sin. No more lust, no more anger, no more lies, no more gossip, no more pride, no more uh, stubbornness, no more selfishness, no more hate. All of these things because of Christ's resurrection, because we will be transformed. These will not be part of our new life. We will not battle these like we battle them today. No more depression, no more uh, feeling sorry for ourselves, no more uh, illness, all these things. We will have ultimate victory over those because of Christ's ultimate victory. The third thing, Christ's resurrection promises new bodies. Look at verse 35. But some man will say, or some will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Verse 36, that's foolish thinking. That which thou sowest is not made alive, quickened, except it die. You'll not have real life until you die. Death is not this enemy anymore. It is the last enemy that Christ is going to deal with, and he does. And it, it, he still comes back and affects our lives in a great way. But uh, we will receive new bodies, but our old bodies need to die. Jesus himself said, except a corn of wheat or a kernel of wheat, fall into the ground and die, uh, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. It's going to be different. We need to be transformed. We were at uh, eating supper with John and Heather and, and our two little granddaughters, Hazel and, and Ruby. And Hazel is, is not the best eater yet. And so she is very picky, doesn't want to eat, lots of distractions. Uh, but uh, Heather said, Hazel, you eat what's on your plate, and I have a surprise for you. Okay? And so she did. She wanted that surprise. What God says, you, you live in that body you have, and then when it is through, 
I've got a surprise for you. It's going to shock you when you see the surprise. It will be good. That's what Paul is saying in verse 35 and 36 here. The old body is going to change, going to be transformed. 37 says, and that which thou sowest, thou sowest not that body, that shall be. What goes in the grave is not what's going to come out of that grave, is what Paul says. And then he says, it's just like grain, whether it be wheat or some other grain, but God giveth it a body as it hath pleased him, and to every seed his own body. God has designed what come, the transformation, what's going to happen with the transformation. He's designed it, and it is good. It has to change. Uh, when that old body comes, or when that body is changed and comes out of the grave, it doesn't come out as a zombie, or it is not a, talking about a mummy, or it's not talking about something that is uh, rotting. It is a new body. It is a different body that God has designed. Now, seeds look different. All, all seeds are different. And last week I had some seeds here. And if I, if I showed you these seeds, and uh, would you be able to tell the plant that is going to come out of this seed? Uh, can, you, can you guess what's going to come out of this seed? Yeah. Now, does, can you look in here and you say, oh, I see it. There's a little corn, a little corn stalk. Or there's a, a corn on the cob right there. Uh, no, uh, and if you had one of these seeds, can you guess what's going to come out of that seed? An oak tree. Why? Because you can see a little oak tree there? This looks completely different. I couldn't guess if I didn't know where, if I hadn't seen these, I, I really had a hard time guessing that corn would come out of this because it, it, it's all wrinkled, all shriveled up. And it doesn't look like the seed corn that we had back on the, uh, on the ranches that we would grind. It looks different. Uh, if I held up one of these seeds, so far we've had two for two. Okay. Here's a seed. It's round, and that's, it's green, it's not really big. You'd never guess it because this is okra. I, I, I couldn't even uh, tell you what okra looks like when the plant grows, except that I have a, a package that has the picture on the front. Otherwise, I would never know. And if I mixed squash seeds and pepper seeds and okra seeds together and, and then planted them, and I had to sort them out, I, I wouldn't know what was going to come up because it's, it's quite different. That's what Paul is saying. You're going to have, there's going to be difficulty uh, or the new transformed body is going to be a lot different than what we think. Now, I, I, Paul gets in here and he says, okay, here's how our bodies are going to change. Three ways, verse 42, so also is the resurrection of the dead, it is sown in corruption. Now remember 
the cemetery, the casket, or the urn, or whatever it is, is sown in corruption. The body goes into there, but it is raised in incorruption. So what is that? Corruption and incorruption. You, your copy of the scriptures might have a, some, a word that a little better in there. Perishable. It's sown perishable or rotting. Uh, that's not very flattering, uh, but that's true, right? When we finally get to the casket and we... You'll look in my, well, I'm, I'm not having an open casket, so you won't look in my casket. But if you did, you would look in the casket and say, oh, he looks good. <laughs> no, he doesn't look good. He looks dead. Uh, and he's not going to look any better. That's as good as it gets right there. Uh, they, they did a good job. Didn't the, the direct funeral directors do a good job? Well, that's, they're not doing nearly as good a job as Jesus Christ is going to do in giving us new bodies. We're sown in corruption. We're sown in decay. I have a 2002 van sitting out there in the parking lot, and you're, you're going to see if you drive by, now you will look for it. Uh, there are bubbles around the fenders. It's still painted that gold color, but, uh, and, but there are bubbles and you know that it is not muscle that my, my van is developing underneath that paint. You see it bulge a little bit. It is not muscle. It is rust. It is decay. As we get older, we get bulges, and it's not muscle. <laughs> it, it is decay. And we are sown in corruption, but we are going to be raised in incorruption uh, something that is imperishable, something that is permanent, something that is lasting, something that is good, and, and moth and rust cannot corrupt the things that are in heaven. Uh, we, uh, Brandon wanted to learn to weld, and, and so uh, he came over. He's our oldest grandson. And he came over, and I had metal laid out and a welder out, and he, uh, I had him welding scrap metal together. And then he said, I want to make something. What do you want to make? I want to make a dragon. And so he began to make a dragon, and <clears throat> he wanted to make something that he could put on his dresser uh, so that it wouldn't be out in the rain, so that it wouldn't rust. Well, all we had was rusty saws and stuff, and we made a dragon that will not go into his bedroom. It's four feet tall and seven feet long, uh, <clears throat> end of his tail, and some of you saw it out at the fair. But... It is rust right now. It is uh, corruption. And so in a few years, there in the middle of their yard, there's going to be a pile of rust and nothing else. Now, we called it tetanus because it's made out of all these saw blades. And anytime you get near it, it jumps out and grabs you and scratches you. Uh, but uh, because it is corrupt, rusty. So our bodies will change from corruption to incorruption. Oh, I'm thankful for that. Our bodies will change from dishonor. Verse 43, it is sown in dishonor, put in the grave in dishonor. It is raised in glory, a dishonor. So what's Paul talking about? Hey, the older we get, the more embarrassing we become. I mean, the dishonor. Uh, we toot when we don't want to toot, and, uh, and the kids laugh at us because there's this dishonor. We go into the hospital. 
because we don't feel well and, and, and maybe, you know, the first week we're in there, uh, we, we, we want to keep our honor. And so we want to keep our pride or our, our whatever it might be. Uh, but you in, you're in the hospital for a month. It doesn't matter. I mean, you, you can't keep your honor in the hospital with a gown that won't tie up in the back. And pretty soon you don't care until you, they finally put you in the grave. And it really doesn't matter. From honor to glory, though, uh, we seek glory. And we'll receive it when we are resurrected, when we are transformed. And then Paul says the third thing in verse 43. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. And it is raised in in power. Come weak as we get old. Uh, Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says this old tabernacle wears out. And it's a tent is what the tabernacle means. Our old tents wear out. And it begins to tear and, and lets the rain in and, and the mosquitoes in and everything. It, it becomes a tattered mess. And he's talking about this, this old body. We get old. And if the Lord tarries, you're all going to get old. All you kids will get old someday. 100% guarantee, apart from the, the rapture, you will get old as well. Um, Ecclesiastes 12, and I think, I think I have time. I will read this. Here is Solomon's picture of old age. In Ecclesiastes 12, and I will just read these because of time. Verse 3, this, he's talking about what it's going to be like to be old. In the day when the keepers of the house shall tremble. What are the keepers of the house? Well, I think the arms. Your arms tremble. The hands. Uh, the, the, the parts of your body that used to clean the floors and wash the windows and and, uh, and cook and, and keep the house, they tremble. And that does. The strong men shall bow themselves. The strong men, the legs. The legs start to bow. The grinders cease because they are few. <laughs> you know what he's talking about there? You're losing your teeth. I know what he's talking about. You lose your teeth. They cease because you can't chew steak anymore, uh, so your favorite meat is hamburger. At least it is mine. Um, and it says, uh, and those that look out the windows be darkened. That's why I'm wearing glasses. Because I look out my windows and, and I can only see foggy things. Uh, and sometimes that's a good thing, maybe, Sunday morning. Uh, and then it says... And the doors shall be shut in the streets when the sound of grinding is low. Man, how many times has your wife said, you need to have your hearing checked? I know how many times Cindy says it. Uh, and uh, hands me little pamphlets. about, And, and that's because the uh, doors are shut. You can't, it's like you're hearing through a door. And I am convinced, and I tell Cindy this too, that she is just mumbling more. I just know it. 
I can hear just as good as I ever did. He shall rise up at the voice of birds early in the morning, can't sleep, have to use the bathroom, uh, rise up at the voice of the birds, and all the daughters of music shall be brought low. You have to crank the music up because you can't hear anymore. That's the picture of old age. We, uh, We are, Paul says, our weakness... All parts of our body, they are weak. We're sown in weakness, but we're raised in power or strength. Our hearing will be good. Huh? What'd you say? <laughs> What'd you say? Uh, you know, that's uh, a common saying in our house. What? What? Uh, but we will be able to see and hear, and our hands won't tremble. And our legs won't need canes because our bodies are going to be changed. And Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, it says, For our conversation, our life is in heaven, from whence we also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body. That's what uh, Solomon said, our decaying body, and what Paul said that it may be fashioned like unto the glorious body according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Like Jesus Christ's glorious body. That's, that's the goal. The goal isn't to get for me to get another five years out of this carcass. The goal is for me someday to be, have a glorified body like Jesus Christ. And it's, it's, it excites me. I envy those that get to go to heaven. So uh, the old body has to die. The old body has to change. The new body is going to be a surprise. Verse 51, behold, I show you a mystery, a surprise. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. We don't know how we're going to be changed. We don't know how, what our, our bodies will look like. We have some clues in Scripture. Maybe another time we will look at it clues of what these bodies will turn into when they are transformed. But it's going to be growing from a seed that you guys will plant, my seed, someday, and it is going to be resurrected as a glorified body. Um, We don't always know what it's going to look like. In fact, it is going to be somewhat a surprise. You might not be able to tell what my new body is going to look like by my old body. But it's going to be glorious. That's what Paul says. Verse 38, But God giveth it a body as it hath pleased him, and to every seed or carcass his own body. I'm going to receive a body that, that uh, God designed for me. And it's going to be glorious. The verses around it, we're not going to look at the verses around it, but it's going to be glorious like the rivers and the earth. In verse 40, the heavens and the earth. It's going to be glorious like the animals, the fish, and the birds. Verse 39, it's going to be glorious like the sun and the moon and the stars. The body he's designed for us is going to be just as glorious as those things. Verse 42 says, so also is the resurrection of the dead. We're going to have glorious bodies. My uh, dad died a number of years ago, and... uh, we went out there. There are eight of us kids. I'm number five, but uh, 
uh, we had heard, Cindy and I had heard a story about a fork. And so uh, it was, I, I talked to mom. I said, mom, this story just sounds so much like our family. Because on Sundays, we'd often have company. And we sat, so there would be 10 of us plus company around this long table. We sat on benches because chairs wouldn't fit. And, uh, and she would come at the end of the meal. Mom would say, okay, keep your forks. And then we knew we we're going to have pie. <laughs> and usually it was rhubarb strawberry. Oh, we loved that. And, uh, and if we were really good, we got a scoop of ice cream on top of it. But uh, keep your forks. And so I talked to mom. I said, Mom, would it be all right if, if I just slip a fork into Dad's hands? You know, his hands. Now, I, I didn't use a fork this large. I used just a regular fork. Slipped it into his hands. And then the whole town, uh, a lot of the town showed up for his funeral. Because Dad had been there, pastored that church for 40 years. And uh, so all these business people, everything. And we stood... The kids, we stood by the casket and greeted people that we went to school with, Ray grew up with, and worked with. And often I would hear somebody say, hey, look, look, he's got a fork in his hands. Why, what's the fork doing there? Uh, and I didn't say anything. And so uh, they are all coming up and they're all looking at Dad. And um, then... I began the message, and I said, uh, a number of you are asking, I think I got to the conclusion, a number of you I've heard say, what is the fork there for? And I told the story. Whenever mom said, keep your fork, we knew the best was yet to come. What Paul is saying now is the best is yet to come, folks. You might feel... The younger ones, you don't quite get this because your best in this life is yet to come. At least you all think this. But then you reach a certain age, then you start thinking, uh, the best is gone. Oh, for the good old days. Oh, they weren't that good either. But the best is yet to come. And the older you get, the more important the fork is for you. The best is yet to come. Yes, my body is filled with cancer, but my, the best is yet to come. You know, I, I've got uh, fake knees and fake hips and fake shoulders. And, and uh, you know, when the rapture takes place, I don't know how all that's going to take place. If there will be plastic <laughs> flying around here or, or what. But the best is yet to come. And Paul says, remember that. The best is yet to come. And someday we'll look at the last verses there that Paul says you're going to have a great uh, a work, a job worth doing and exciting after you're transformed. Let's pray. Father, might we keep in mind that the best is yet to come. Lord, because right now I know for many this life looks like a one big pain pill or for some it's even morphine and that's not encouraging 
But the best is yet to come. Help us to remember that. You're going to change these vile, corrupt bodies into a glorious body that you prepared just for us. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.